Take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John. This amazing Christmas season. Sunday before Christmas. Can't help but get a little excited. Anticipation, the expectation, all about birth 2,000 years ago. Stories are very familiar to us and the passages we know because we hear them every year. But I want to share a little different perspective today and look at it a little differently uh, in understanding this. In John chapter 1, I'm intrigued with the gospel of John because he doesn't tell the story of Bethlehem and the stable and the shepherds. He doesn't tell the story of the wise men coming as Matthew did. But he talks about the coming of Christ. Who is this baby we celebrate at Christmas? Who is this baby that warrants hundreds of Christmas carols honoring his birth? Who is this baby that is honored with major scenes and Christmas dramas every December? Who is this baby? Oh, we know the answer pretty much, or do we? The truth is, he's more than a baby born 2,000 years ago. So much more. John takes us to a perspective and an, an insight of just who he is. I know everybody gets excited about this time of year and about all the things that come with Christmas. The songs, the gifts, the food, the fellowship. All that's good. But there's so much more. And John takes us beyond the manger scene and the historical event of Bethlehem and shows us who this baby is. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through Him. That means created out of nothing. Created. From nothing He made something. And apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. Now, I just want us to take a journey through John, just a few verses that, that focus on just who this baby really is. And because I, we do this, I want you to realize, who is Jesus to you, really? Is he just a historical figure? Is, is it a, it's just a name on a Christmas card? And who is he to you? How does he impact your life and influence your life? Who is this baby to you was born 2,000 years ago? Well, here's what John says. First of all, that Jesus is the eternal word. Eternal. The characteristic of deity. He was forever been, if you will. He, he is the, in the beginning was the word. Now, if you go back to Genesis 1, we have in the beginning. And he says, in the beginning, I, I, the word was there. Uh, the word, and then that word was with God. 
at the beginning point of creation. And the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. And everything that we see around us is the evidence of His Word. Nature, creation, stars, sun, moon, the, 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 the water, the mountains, all were a product of His Word. Now, it, more than just that, but He was the communication of God's heart and mind. This is what He is. John said, I, I, I look back and the Spirit moved upon my heart to write these words. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, the eternal Word, the Creator, the communicator of God's heart and God's mind to us. You see, as he becoming the word of God, he has come to communicate. And the sole purpose of coming, as he did, in the form of a baby growing up, living as a man, subject to the will of God that he would die on a cross, obedient to death. He came to communicate God's heart. The fact that God really cares about us. We are on his heart. He has on his heart our redemption. The sole purpose of Christ's coming was to carry out the plan before the foundations of the world that we would be redeemed from our sin. And as Christ came as the spoken word of God, visible, expressive, He would speak the heart of God on the matters of sin and forgiveness. He would speak the mind of God on the social injustice of the day and the hypocrisy of the day and the emptiness of religion in his day as he taught in the streets and the synagogues and on the shores. He is simply... The Word who became flesh. Look what it says here. you got to get this. Life was in Him. That life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness. You see, He came to tell us that God forever has us on His heart and His mind. We're very special to Him. We live in a time where People don't feel very special. They don't feel sometimes loved or accepted. And yet Christ came to communicate that to God we're very special. He desires us to be his children, the apple of his eye. And so the whole purpose of that first coming of Christ was... To communicate God's heart and mind to us throughout his ministry, the words he would say, through the people he touched, he communicated the grace of God, the love of God, the power of God, the purpose of God, the very presence of God. Emmanuel, God with us. It's the Christmas story. The story of Christmas started in a major in Bethlehem, but that is not the end of the story. It is just simply the beginning point. For much would follow. For the sole purpose of him coming to be was not just to be a baby, but to be the Word of God. Visible, expressive. But none of that, he was also 
an extravagant light. Jesus is the eternal word, but he's also the extravagant light. This, that light shines in the darkness, verse 5, yet the darkness did not overcome it. Verse 9, the true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Ah, the incarnation. The true light, the extravagant light from heaven is now come to earth, penetrating the darkness of our world. You know, and if you go to Genesis 1, you're going to find that as God began his creation process, in the beginning God created, and, 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 the, and, and it was uh, uh, void and, uh, and, and, and formless to some degree, but that did not mean it was chaos or disorganized. It meant that it was uninhabitable. But God began to create that it would become a wonderful place. To live. He began to work through the six days of creation to establish life in the full operation of planet Earth and the universe. The light that dispelled the darkness of God's Word and creation. That eternal word became the extravagant light from heaven that would enter the darkness of our world. You say, well, pastor, we had the sun, the moon, the stars. Why, why was it dark? The darkness here was not necessarily the physical aspect we think of. It was a spiritual aspect of darkness. Breaking through the darkness of sin that's in the world. Breaking through shining the light on our personal condition of sin and pride and emptiness and unbelief that we don't see from within ourselves. The light has to shine on that. I don't pick that up on my own. The light has to shine. I realize, man, I'm, I don't really believe what I should about God. I, I'm an unbeliever. I don't trust God. And the light shines and I see the truth and I realize that I can trust God. I realize that sometimes I have pride. I don't want to trust God because I want to do it myself. And yet his light shines and shows that my pride will lead to my destruction. And I, and I realize I, I wouldn't know that without the light. I would still be overwhelmed by the darkness of my own thoughts and my own world and my own life, my own mind. Until the light shines I don't really recognize my sin because I choose to measure myself against others and I do better than most. I'm really not that bad. I try hard. And so therefore, because of the darkness, I believe those things. And yet the light comes and shows me that I need a Savior because I have sin. And then the darkness also convinces me that I can fill the void in my life with all kinds of people and possessions and pleasures. And I'll be all right. But only when the light shines do I realize how empty I really am. You see, that is the extravagant light. The light came. And here's what we know about light. doesn't matter how dark a room is. When one light comes through, it's no longer dark. The darkness doesn't overcome the light. The light overcomes the darkness. Doesn't matter that there's more darkness than light as it seems. The light penetrates the darkness. It overcomes the darkness. We sang about a light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Let me see. 
my sin and my pride and my unbelief. I think about as Jesus ministered those three years, he, he ran across some very interesting people. One of them was a man who had been blind from birth, and he was begging for alms, and, and uh, he could hear the crowd was quite excited and, 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 and quite uh, uh, active. And he got word that Jesus was coming. The crowd was with him, and, and there was a lot of talking and chatter. And while he could not see, he could hear. And all of a sudden, when he senses the momentum and the movement of the crowd had gotten so close, he cried out, Son of David, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people said, Oh, hey, you're just a beggar. Be quiet. You're just a beggar. Be quiet. Quiet in yourself. But he cried even the louder. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped because he was communicating the heart and the mind of God. He stopped and he called for the man. And, and they said, come, the man, he, Jesus, he calls for you. One of my favorite parts of the story is he throws off the the garment that he would wrap himself in at night and use a sense of security and protection and warmth. And he simply would cast it aside, moving quickly. All the confidence of the flesh was left behind. And he now stands before this man he's never seen but heard much about because the light had shined into his heart. And while he could not see physically, he understood there was something significant about this man Jesus. That he had the power to do something about his condition. And so as he cried out, not daring to be denied, he, he, he simply found himself in front of Jesus and Jesus healed him of his blindness. Physically that day, light came into Bartimaeus' life. But that wasn't the only light. That day, spiritual light came into his heart. He could see with his physical eyes for the first time in his life and the darkness was gone. He saw the sun for the first time in his life. He had felt the heat all his life, but he saw the sun. But more than that, he not just saw the sun, S-U-N, he also saw the sun, S-O-N, the Son of God, that had come to bring the good news about God's heart and mind about the people of this world. God desires to save, to make a difference. To change lives. The extravagant light. But that's not all. Jesus is the exclusive way. As John begins to write, looking back at this incredible life that he was a witness to. He said, man, he was the eternal word. He was very God. He was with God. He is God. And he, in his creation came to communicate what it was all about, the real purpose of life. And then he brought this amazing light into the darkness, and the darkness was conquered. Darkness could not win. Then, he talks about that time when the disciples were together, and they were a little concerned, and they were worried, and, and, and they were anticipating things that could be happening, and here's what he said. 
in John 14. Your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Because they're one and the same. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not so, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself. So that where I am, there you may be also. You know the way and where I am going. Lord Thomas said, you got to love Thomas. He just was always plain spoken. Kind of said what was on his mind. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? I wonder how many of the guys were thinking that but wouldn't say it. But Thomas said, Lord, hey. John's were saying, I remember when, I remember when he did it. Lord, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't get it. In verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. The only way in. He said, I am the way to bring you into the presence of the Father. To bring you into the power of the Father. I am the way. It's the only way this works. Only way this works. Paul. Robert. Russ. Y'all come up here for a minute. You got to get this. I want you to see this. Three wise men, right? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, which one of you wants to play God? <laughs> All right. Russ right down here. Paul right here. All right. Portraying God. Portraying Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Here's what happens. Here's what has to happen for us to come to the Father. The Holy Spirit begins to testify in the lives of people about Jesus. The Holy Spirit begins to take the truth of God's Word, the the creation that tells a story of the Creator, the Bible who tells a story of redemption, and the Holy Spirit takes the various scriptures and encounters that cross people's lives and shines light on the life. Shines light, that extravagant light that says, Here, here's your life. It has sin, it has pride, it has unbelief. This is your life. I've come to shine the light in your darkness that you can see the way out. That you can have a transformation of life. Have a new beginning. And so in the process, the Holy Spirit does His work. And He's out here working with you. And with me, he is speaking to our hearts. It's an amazing spiritual dynamic of how he begins to bring truth to us. And he steps into our darkness and tells us that our religion is not enough and our denomination is not enough and our good works is not enough. But much more is required. But we can't do any of what's really required. And so what happens when he shines a light on us and he he testifies about Jesus being the righteous one, the one who come to forgive of sin, the one who come to save us from our destruction and death. The Holy Spirit does his work. So he takes Charlene, you come. Holy Spirit works on Charlene. 2003 he did a great work in her life. He dispelled the darkness. 
And she realized being in church all her life wasn't enough. And so he takes Charlene and he takes her to Jesus now because the Holy Spirit does the work. And, and here we go. And all of a sudden, no, no, wait right there, wait right there. And she comes to Christ knowing that he has died for her sin, that he has been the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God that takes place in the world. He's the one who's done this. And now she has met her Savior. She's identified with his death on the cross. And now Jesus introduces her to the Father. That's what he went. He said, this is how it works. There's not another way. There's not a back door. There's not a side door. There's a process that Jesus said, this is how it works. You can't get to the Father but through me. I'm going to bring you. I introduce you. I, I, I stand with you. I'm the one that gets you there. And you can't get to the Father by being a great church member or a great hard worker or very ethical or moral. You get to the Father through what I do and what I've done on the cross. You guys can sit down. Thank you. That's what he's saying. He said, I, there, the way is exclusive. There's not another way to the Father other than through the work of Jesus Christ. There's not. And we know about the work of Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit makes it known. And we go, okay. And then I, I, so what, here's what I need to know. This is how this works. So what do I do with this? What do I do with this amazing truth? He comes to bring me to the Father of eternal life. John said, this is why he's more than a baby. He's more than just a historical event 2,000 years ago in a little town called Bethlehem. He's the Savior of the world. He is the doorway, in the sense, if you will. He's the gatekeeper. The gatekeeper. You know who gatekeepers are. They're the people that let you in when you go to events. They keep the gate. You always want to be nice to the gatekeeper because they can turn you away. He said, I'm the only one that can get you to the Father through what I've done, through who I am, through what I've accomplished. I can get you to the Father. Well, and lastly, in John 3.16, he is the expression of unconditional love. Yes, he is the eternal word. He's the extravagant light. He's the exclusive way, but also he is the expression of unconditional love. He's our Savior. John chapter 3 is about a a dialogue with a very religious man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus had had pondered many of the words that Christ had spoken, that that he had heard, and had heard much of the talk about this man, Jesus. And he he came to him by night because he didn't want to come by day. He was not necessarily sure he needed to have this encounter, but he was driven to have this encounter because something on the inside. You see, the light had shone through his darkness. And now he comes, he comes to learn more 
about what's happening inside him. And here's what the, he says, I want to know, how can I go to heaven? How can I be really a part of the kingdom of God? Jesus said you must be born again. You must have a transformation. You must have a spiritual birth. I know you've had a physical birth, and Nicodemus was, was kind of stymied by this because he said, look, I'm old. I'm not going to get born again. I'm getting older. I can't do this birth process again. Jesus said, you understand, I'm not talking about a physical birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. A miraculous birth, if you will, a spiritual birth, something you really can't do. I have to do it for you. And so in the process, he goes on to talk about how this could take place. And and Nicodemus is bewildered by the things he's hearing. And then here's what he says in verse 16. For God so loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. He's saying, here's what we understand about this conversation with this very religious man who still had sin, pride, and emptiness, and unbelief. And he said, here's what we know. They had this dialogue, and Nicodemus said, I don't understand it. It doesn't quite make sense. I I don't know how to really uh, understand all this. I, I don't know how to process all this. And he said, well, here's what you do. You must be born of the Spirit. You must have a spiritual birth, a second birth, if you'll be a part of the kingdom of God. And the whole purpose of me being here, Nicodemus, my father sent me because he loves you. He loves the world. And in the process, at this point in time, Nicodemus did not understand that. He's just having a talk with a very brilliant person. And he has some suspicion about who he might be. Is he really the Messiah? Is he the one that's been promised and prophesied? He doesn't quite understand the whole picture yet. But as Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoso believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He did not give Jesus just to be a great teacher, that we would have information to follow, or to be a great example that we may have a model to live by. He gave Jesus to die on the cross for our sin, that we may have a Savior. That's the whole reason he came. He came to die for me, to die for you. Now, that's the rest of the Christmas story. Who doesn't end there? But it brings us to the part of why he really came. Nicodemus didn't understand that until a little later. When the crucifixion occurred and Jesus Christ, our Savior, was crucified horribly in this unmerciful execution of his life. He would die. And it was then that Nicodemus understood because he'd come to the cross. And when they're taking the body down, it was Nicodemus 
who said, let, let, me, let me bury him. That was a day he crossed the line. The day he came forward, not ashamed to be numbered with this man. He was our Savior, our sacrifice. A lot of us can identify with Nicodemus. We've had religion in some form or fashion in our lives. It's kind of like a flu shot. I get a flu shot every year. I go and I, and I, I purposely get the flu shot because I don't want to be sick. And so each year they inject me with a, enough that it builds up my immunity to catching the flu. They give me just enough of the vaccine to build up immunity, but not to make me have the flu. I'm afraid much of our religion and church life is simply a flu shot. We've had just enough. To keep us from getting the real thing. Christmas is about coming to meet the Master, the Creator, the Savior, Jesus Christ. It's breaking beyond the security of our religious philosophies and our memberships and coming to a full relationship with Christ. Jesus is the everlasting king. That's the rest of the story. And one day in Revelation 19, John wrote that he's going to come as king of kings and lord of lords. What are you going to do with this baby who became the savior of the world? And whosoever will may come. What are you going to do with that? You see, you either receive or reject Christ, and that determines where you spend eternity. It's just that simple. You say yes to him, you say no to him. He's more than a baby. You can resist the choice, you can ignore the choice, you can put off making the choice. You can assume you've made the choice. You can make fun of the choice. But the fact is, the choice remains. You will either receive Him or reject Him. That is your choice. Has He become more than a baby to you? More than the object of Christmas carols and Christmas cards? More than the reason just to give gifts. Has he become your Savior and your King?